Welcome to Afterthoughts, everybody. This is our recommend or refute episode. You know how these go. We watch something previously and we want to bring it to you. We want to tell you you should watch it or you should just, you know, fucking bury it somewhere. Don't don't go near that bad juju. Um, I am your host, John Garcia, with me, as always, Brian King. Actually, uh, spent some time watching things around the holidays. We actually get to sit down and watch shit. Hey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Michael Dixon over here. Yeah, excited to talk with you guys about what we watched this week. I think we got some fun, fun items this week to dive into. Yeah, and we'll we'll kick things off um, with Ryan, who has a, a follow up report for you. Breaking news, everybody! We're following yes, up on yes. something. We talked previously about watching uh, Scott Pilgrim, and that was kind of in anticipation of the new Netflix Can Canada anime, Canandame. Canime <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that, that uh, release, Scott Pilgrim Takes Off. Ramona. The girl of my dreams? It's time to wake up, dude. I had a dream about that girl again. I didn't care the first time you told me. I care even less now. Toronto, Canada. Not too long ago. Hey, wanna go out sometime? You wanna go on a date with me? Ramona Flowers has seven evil exes, all of whom you must defeat in order to date her. What? I mean, we had just watched Scott Pilgrim, and I, I kind of was enjoying myself, and I was like, oh, let's, you know, we'll, I'll watch it. And it's the original voice cast returning. Uh, and I kind of did not know what I was going in for. I hadn't read anything, and I don't think they really released much material about it other than, hey, the voice cast is back and the music that they had in there. Um, and I ended up watching all of it in one day because the second episode just fucking shocked me enough that I was like, oh. I, what the fuck is going on here? And then I kind of was just locked in for the ride. How um, long are so the episodes? Uh, I don't know. I actually honestly like just 20, played it all like 20 day minutes or like an hour. He like, sounds, no, he sounds no like he was on drugs clue. when he said that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I like in the episodes. I don't know. I just put I them in my body. <laughs> just need them. I'm yeah, just I I was like, just... was this an all day thing that you're just like entire day <laughs> yes. you're sitting there or was this like their 22 minutes with commercials and, and uh, you just kind of like whipped through it in a few hours? I was cleaning the house and I just turned it on. <laughs> I just kept cleaning the house. So I don't know. Just I have no watching idea. out of the corner of your eye. While yeah. You're I don't know how many episodes. House. Yeah. I don't know uh, how many episodes it is. I don't know how long each episode was. It was enough that you can uh, clean the, you know, spend an afternoon cleaning the house. So that's okay. Was <laughs> there you go. Um, I don't think they could have been hour long episodes because I think that would have taken a lot longer. It's eight episodes according to IMDb. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's like only eight. So yeah, it isn't too much. You can get through it pretty quickly. Uh, it if you're in Scott Pilgrim, go watch it. Pause, come back because I want to talk about it a little bit. If you're thinking Spoil about watching shit. it, yeah. <laughs> if you're thinking about watching it, pause, go look at it or whatever. I do think that you would have a better appreciation for what it is and what it's doing if you've watched the movie uh, or read the comic. I guess the comic would still work, but it definitely references movie specific stuff and having all the voice actors back and all that. Like this is supposed to be. You've watched the movie and now you're watching this. The first episode is just straight up like the beginning of the movie. We set up all the characters. 
the gags are relatively similar. They they do the bit in the bedroom with like Wallace's shit and Scott's thing, like exactly the same. Um, and we're kind of just like getting established into it. The second episode leads into the fight. Uh, that's the first fight for Scott and he loses and he's immediately turned into coins. And then the rest of the fucking show happens. <laughs> and, <laughs> and yeah, right then I was like, I don't understand what's going on. And that episode just kept going and like people were reacting to him being dead. They have a fucking funeral for Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> Holy shit. Uh, Matthew Patel goes on and beats Gideon and takes over his corporation. And like it just keeps going for like episode after episode. Okay. Uh, Holy shit. Like following rad. Ramona Flowers around. Like it's mainly the Ramona Flowers show. And, and then it gets into these like meta textual moments where they end up creating a movie in the Scott Pilgrim universe that is the Scott Pilgrim where Scott Pilgrim wins. And, <laughs> and then they're like casting that movie. And of course, uh, the Lucas what's Lee his name? Up. Lee. Yeah. Lucas Lee is in the Scott Pilgrim role in the movie. Like it just gets more and more bizarre kind of as it goes on. Uh, and then like kind of partway through, we get a few hints that Scott's alive and that he didn't die it appears he was teleported out with vegan powers and we slowly <laughs> try to like piece it together. So it's a while of piecing it together. They get to vegan powers and then it turns out it's not the vegan that we know. It's not his vegan powers. And kind of in the last, <laughs> the last few episodes, we revealed that Scott Pilgrim of the future came back in time and made Scott Pilgrim lose because oh, Scott Pilgrim of the future, yes, is disgruntled because he breaks up with Ramona Flowers because their relationship is built on fucking nothing. Yeah. And, <laughs> and uh, they've been like fickle and fight all the time and feel like they're meant for each other, but just constantly like break up and get together and break up and get together. And he just isn't, it shouldn't happen. Um, and then we proceed to spend some episodes of like fighting like old Scott and coming back and kind of resetting the universe and, and doing things. But like mainly Ramona has all the fights that that are in the original instead of Scott, which is better. It's something else. And it, in them, they actually explore a little bit more of like the relationships, those characters, like any character that got shit on in the movie of like barely any time and not well represented as a character gets a lot of time and well represented as a character. And like Scott Pilgrim is on the side for most of the show. Like it is a really absolutely different thing. Wow. And then it just goes off the rails at the end because we have an even older old Scott Pilgrim comes back in time because old <laughs> Scott Pilgrim and young Scott Pilgrim fucked it up. And they actually do like what we were talking about in Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes, where it's like old young Neil is like in there. <laughs> <laughs> there's like we predicted old, the future. Yes. There's like old, old Scott Pilgrim and shit like that. And like um so it it honestly like it was pretty funny i think if you just watch this and had nothing in scott pilgrim it would be fucking confusing and bizarre it sounds as to way. what was going on and it, it was the constant like upending of everything scott pilgrim that made it work mm -hmm. um and even like they even lampshade the he's in a relationship with a teenager even more by having in the <laughs> In the in the production meta movie, Lucas Lee as Scott Pilgrim ends up dating the girl that's playing Knives 
in the movie who's not a teenager but is playing a teenager and everyone decides even that's creepy (laughs) (laughs) and the paparazzi is then like immediately all over him and he loses like his career because he's dating a person that's playing a teenager an underage (laughs) yes wow I gotta fucking watch this. That's hilarious. This. <laughs> I gotta fucking yeah. watch this. I will say, like, I'm still not even touching on all, like, the twists and funny things like that. I mean, kind of, like, generally spoils, like, what it is, like, the episode two shock. Uh, but there still is, like, a lot of things where they just play with stuff and they give everybody a lot of runtime. It seems like they're leaving it open to a second season, I guess, that would just, like, explore even more with the characters in the universe. I think... They've got a good carte blanche now. Like they've actually gone in and kind of like resurrected Scott Pilgrim and fixed a lot of the things from the movie and even some of the things that were a little questionable from the comics and just kind of created a new property almost uh, that reinvents it. It's interesting because I mm. feel like this is kind of happening in a few different things. The the recent Final Fantasy VII remake game is also kind of that way where it's like an alternate ish version that gets more oh, unraveled yeah. as the games go on. Um, we, we, we talked about, and a light mention, I don't know if we actually talked about it in the episode, but, uh, the I- I- Evangelion, Evangelion, Evangelion 3.1 plus 1.0, uh, <laughs> I don't know what's happening in these movies anymore. Yeah, no, you lost <laughs> right. me. I, bl- I blacked uh, those, out. <laughs> yeah, those have been remaking and retelling its story over and over in a way that's completely confusing and upending itself over and over. So it's like, that is kind of a thing that started to happen. So it's like, interesting for like it to work for something like Scott Pilgrim. Yeah. Um, How so is I, the voice cast? Like you, you talked about everybody's back. Um, is it weird that everybody is now like 13 years older than they older were? Like, like they're playing characters that are much younger. Like does Michael Sarah sound like an old man as Scott Pilgrim now? Like how, how's that all? How does that work? It, it works. I actually think they all played off. They sound like, who they were in the movie, they kind of are able to get back into who the character is, I think, well. In fact, I actually think it's a an interesting Scott Pilgrim because it's not just straight up Michael Sarah. Like, he is actually trying to do a little bit. It doesn't just sound like Michael Sarah. Weirdly, the future Scott Pilgrims are Will Forte. Uh, he's <laughs> oh. great because, yeah, yeah, because he's great. So well, that's perfectly fine. He is great, fine. but he doesn't sound anything like Michael Sarah. So that's well, but he's supposed to be old, much older, like really so. much older Scott right. Pilgrim. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of having him do a, a fucking Markle voice, yeah. old man. So. Yes, yeah. Uh. Um, what I mean, Michael Sarah could have done it. Maybe it'd have been interesting. I, I don't know. The choice was something different. Um, but everybody else, I'm like they. They're really solid, and they just get to do a lot more, and it works well. Um, I don't know that really many of them have done any voice acting before. I know Alison Brie has, um, and so she's oh Alison Brie's know, in, in this. Well, she's uh, Envy, so she's like back again not as Brie. Envy Adams. Oh, not Brie, Alison Brie, Brie Larson. Like Brie Larson. <laughs> you, you. Oh boy. Oh well. I think Alison Brie has done some voice acting too. Um, oh yeah. Is <laughs> yeah, this Brie, the Brie best Larson has done Brie that. Larson performance of the year? Oh yeah, like she's still well, she's still so tilted in the Marvels, and she gets uh-huh, to do something yeah. here. She doesn't get to sing. I thought that was interesting. Oh, I, I kind of think weird. I know yeah. why they did it um, because she does sing the metric song in the movie. Yeah. Um, but here they actually have metric come back and perform their song, and then 
And then Envy Adams sings I Will Remember You at Scott Pilgrim's uh, funeral. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And that's also sung by the lead singer of Metric. So it's it's not her. But otherwise, she she voices through. Wow. Yeah, she's got yeah, a good yeah, voice. She gets it's to weird be animated and want her to do that. Yeah. Yeah. She gets to be animated and over the top and actually do something with the character. So, no, nah, it was good. Yeah, nice. it was the uh, soundtrack as well like cuz the Scott Pilgrim movie soundtrack was pretty great. Um was this as notable or kind of like, eh, it's all right. I think it's all right. Um It's on a Monoguchi, so Right. It's all the it's much more chip tunes throughout it, right? This sort of more of a kind of continuous music. Um, mm. that is the chiptone music. There are a few. There's like one one pretty comical version where in, in the future the the twins and Scott Pilgrim are buddies and they have their little shitty band now that they do together and they have an absolutely perfect but horrible sort of like Japanese pop song with like English vocals that are added in that make no sense, like that kind of thing. Oh, okay. That's like perfect and they that song is really great. Uh, the opening title is really great. The I like the garbage truck song from the movie, honestly, a lot. Uh, the song here is like fine, but it's more of like an actual song. There's something about garbage trucks, lyrics and shittiness that's like so <laughs> wonderful in the original. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of like it is its new thing and it fits more with like a video game theme and they do some more video game things because they can because it's animated. So it definitely yeah. works for what it is. It's not quite as good as the as the movie soundtrack okay sounds like the story and the animation like more than make up for that it's not like a big detractor right yeah yeah, yeah. and this is a much more like crazy over the top you know yeah show that the fighting is even more over the top. like there's just so much more they can do and to that point they're like i'm sitting there watching it going why did they make this into a live action movie right there's sort of that like you watch certain things like this yeah. that get converted over comics and you just wonder like, why, why do that? And because then it just limits yourself when you have such a wide open door to just be completely bizarre, especially with something where you have like vegan teleportation powers that you're like, Oh, that needs to be live action. Let's do that. Yeah. Just giving the special effects department more work to do. <laughs> but yeah. Um, well, cool. So you're recommending it, yeah. obviously. I recommend it. It has to be, you've already watched the Scott Pilgrim movie or read the comics. I think without it, it's nonsense. But I think if you watch the movie, um, you'll appreciate it. Um, right. And it just is like a, kind of a kind of a fun, different thing. I just, I'm really fascinated by the take of like, hey, let's do Scott Pilgrim and pretend we're going to do Scott Pilgrim, quote, right uh, uh, from the movie. But then instead do something else entirely different that also is right in some way. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. It it sounds to me like on the one hand, oh, that sounds cool. Like they're taking Scott out of the story and talking about how he's a piece of shit. But also it sounds really, really meta and like the time travel stuff. And it's like, I'm, I'm torn into on like, I might really like this and I might really hate this. So I don't, I'm not really sure where, where I fall based on your description. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, it is very meta. That's why I was like, I think you have to have seen the movie. Sure. Yeah. Otherwise. Yeah. It's just a bizarre you need a foundation thing. <laughs> to understand what this might be. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, Dixon, what do you got for us? Yeah. So before I talk about my recommended refute movie, I do have a quick follow up. Um, Ryan, you recommended the Marvels uh, a week yeah. or two ago, <laughs> and I saw that last night. 
and uh dear lord it sucked ass um <laughs> i don't know how you could have recommended that i now question your taste just generally um, i gave it like a pass though i didn't say it was like Black i know Panther i know you barely gave it <laughs> Still, a recommend but the fact that the scale tipped in favor <laughs> um just nonsensical green screen horseshit the whole movie it made no sense whatsoever terrible script terrible visuals like there was not one shot of the movie that was in a real place the literally the whole thing was on green screen it's all outer space shit yeah um (laughs) i thought like brie larson did what she could um i thought the rest of the cast was pretty awful but like they all just don't have much to do with what's on the page like the script is really bad and like the the movie just can't really ascend beyond that it is just like a weight holding it down and it's just we're all going to shoot lasers out of our hands and everything's green screen and none of this makes any sense and frantic editing because the cgi is bad and so we need to try to cover that up and it's just dear lord it sucked really hard um i feel bad that brie larson had to do it one of the worst movies of the year so far um i don't know if that or indiana jones is my least favorite movie of the year so far but they suck for similar reasons you know it's the good the good thing here is that if it's a really bad movie and they don't want brie larson back for a while that like it's not a career-ending kind of movie like there's no it's absolutely throw this you know, it's like Jake LaMotta. You know, you could throw this and you just, you'd have your own nightclub the next week. You never week. knock me down. You never knock me down. I, I do yeah. have an important question since you've watched it. Okay. Uh, her husband and that entire planet's fucking dead, right? They never come back to that. I'm, so, I'm sorry, whose husband? Uh, uh, Brie, Brie Larson's uh, husband. Oh, I guess. Captain yeah, she, husband. I forgot she has like a tax purpose marriage with like <laughs> yes. a, a, some sort of alien creature on a water Switzerland? planet. Um, <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. No, he's dead. She doesn't give a yeah. shit. Yeah. They, don't, they, they teleport off that planet and they never come back to check back on them and they all got uh-huh. their water sucked away into <laughs> a black hole. Yep. Mm. Um, um, yeah. Dear Lord, stupid ass movie. Anyway. I did watch a good movie this week. Um, Earlier this week, I was out with some friends having some drinks and came home and I was too drunk to watch a new movie. And so I was like, I need to watch something that I've seen before, but that's going to like give me some good vibes. And I decided to put in the Simpsons movie from 2007. 20th Century Fox presents... The greatest Simpsons family adventure of all time. On July 27th. President Schwarzenegger. That is me. Springfield has reached crisis levels. I've narrowed your choices down to five unthinkable options. I was elected to lead, not to read. When disaster threatens our world... They're going to destroy Springfield! One family will show everyone what they're made of. This is the worst day of my life. The worst day of your life so far. Now... I declare a state of emergency. Time... Dad, do something! This book doesn't have any answers! Is... What? Thomas! Running out. Did I save the day? Actually, you doomed us all. Go! the pig tracks get on the ceiling. Spider pig. 
spider pig does whatever a spider pig does. The Simpsons movie. Look out, he is a spider pig. I have seen this movie many times, but it's been a long time since I've seen it. It's probably been nine, ten years since I've actually watched it. Um, but like I had the DVD as soon as it came out. I saw it in theaters a couple times, got the DVD when it came out, watched it a bunch. And uh, it was it was fun to go back to it. And if you are a longtime listener of this podcast and you are familiar with The Simpsons television show, you will know that the three of us drop random Simpsons quotes in almost every episode and do not even like hint that it is from The Simpsons. We just all know and we laugh and move on. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the uh, Simpsons, Simpsons watching history is is um, you know useful to pick up on some of our little inside gags on this podcast, um, but I, I thought this would be a fun opportunity to talk about the Simpsons movie in kind of a, a format that would make sense for us to actually discuss it because the TV show is just so there's so many episodes and it's just gotten terrible at this point. Um, I do think that like the first eleven seasons of the Simpsons are just fucking incredible television, like. Just really good. Like it's a it's a classic sitcom, you know, animated and made edgier than what was going on in the eighties and nineties at the time. But it's just so well done and so cleverly written. Um, and it's got just such interesting characters and they build this town in such a fascinating way. And all, all the all the people that live there. Um and it, the first eleven seasons are great. I, I think the like the the third season 13 is where it kind of stops for me. Like that's the, the season where Maude dies. And I th I love that episode. And so like, that's kind of to me where like the Simpsons kind of ends and then everything beyond that, eh, whatever, take it or leave it. But the one shining moment of that, you know, after that in the Simpsons to me is the movie. I, I really enjoyed the Simpsons movie. Um, I think it led to kind of some shitty Simpsons TV seasons afterward. Like they, the movie was the first time they put in digital animation and I thought it worked really well in the movie with some of the things that they were doing. But in the show, when they're using it later, it, it just feels like, I don't know, less personal and, and less kind of like the, the show originally was very scrappy and kind of poorly drawn. Like it, you know, not to the degree of like South Park, but that hadn't happened yet, right? And it was, it felt kind of crude in the way that it was put together um, at the time. And now it feels almost too polished now. Yeah, I've um, seen like screens from the new seasons and it just looks oh, yeah. so odd. It's like they yeah. ran it through like an AI upscaler or something. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I mean, obviously, ever since Harry Shearer left, like, you know, that's, that was very upsetting when like Harry Shearer wanted to like strike for more money and all the other actors threw him under the bus and he quit. And now they just have random other people do the voices of his characters and they don't even credit whoever that those actors are that are doing those voices. They just pretend that Harry Shearer doesn't exist anymore, yeah. uh, which fucking sucks. But um, I do, I do really like the Simpsons movie. So um, if, if you haven't seen the Simpsons movie, the, the premise of the story is that uh, Springfield is an incredibly polluted town and Lisa, as she is wont to do, goes on a crusade to clean up Lake Springfield because there's so much pollution in the lake. And, you know, obviously, like in early Simpsons seasons, we have like the three eyed fish coming out of the lake and all the nuclear waste is going in there and it's creating this very toxic environment. And so Lisa goes through this epic campaign to stop polluting in Lake Springfield and to clean up the town. They're able to successfully do that 
until Homer decides to adopt a pig. <laughs> uh, named Spider Pig. Uh, spider Pig, Spider Pig, does whatever a spider pig does. Can he swing from a web? No, he can't. He's a pig. Look out, it's Spider Pig. And then he's Harry Plopper the next <laughs> yes. day. He becomes Harry Plopper, uh, which is hilarious. Just, uh, that song is so funny to me because like, he's a spider pig, but can he swing from a web? No, he can't. He's a pig. It's just, it's it's. It's fucking stupid and it's hilarious. Um, but he uh, he needs a, a place to deposit the pig's waste and uh, decides to put a pig crap silo in the backyard. And uh, as Marge says, the silo is leaking. And Homer says, it's not leaking, it's overflowing. <laughs> so he needs to dispose of it. She's like, you need to dispose of that properly. He goes, to, he's on his way to take it to the, you know, the public pig crap disposal center. You know, I don't, I don't know how you dispose of pig crap in a safe way. Uh, but he's like, <laughs> Why'd on you his look way, at me? I don't know. I don't know. You seem like you'd be a person that might know that, John. Uh, he's on his way to dispose of the pig crap and gets a call from Lenny that the health inspector has closed down the donut shop and they're giving away free donuts. So <laughs> Homer freaks out. He's like, oh, shit, I got to get rid of this pig crap so I can get over to the donut shop. And he dumps it in the lake. And that creates mega pollution in Springfield. Uh, the EPA decides to shut down Springfield. The EPA run by Russ Cargill, who voiced is by voiced by the great Albert, Albert Brooks, Brooks. Yeah. Who uh, famously voiced Hank Scorpio from uh, season eight, episode two of The Simpsons. <laughs> yeah, yes, I know that off the top by. of my head. Uh <laughs> Where he plays the evil billionaire who recruits Homer to like help him destroy the world at his different <laughs> nuclear power plant. Um, but he is uh, uh, petitioning President Schwarzenegger, which always pisses me off that they made him President Schwarzenegger. It's like, it's McBain. And it's like, I know they made a movie and they put it out for mass audiences, but like, who doesn't watch The Simpsons and know that it's McBain? Of the people that are going to see the movie, yeah. right? I don't know. Like, it just seems to me that they were like, oh, uh, our joke is going to be too inside. We have to make it broader. Let's make it people. dated. <laughs> so we're just going to call him President Schwarzenegger. Um, but he convinces him to uh, select Plan 3 uh, without reading it because he was selected to, to lead, lead, not to, to read. read. Yes. And uh, <laughs> that plan involves putting a giant dome over the city of Springfield to block it off from the rest of America so that the pollution cannot affect the rest of the country. <laughs> Very American solution. Yes, absolutely. Just pretend it doesn't happen. You know, they have Tom Hanks doing a commercial for the new Grand Canyon where nothing ever is or was because <laughs> that's where Springfield Mr. Hanks, was. you're tussling my hair a little too hard. <laughs> uh, this movie's fucking great. Like, uh, But you know, basically the town finds out that it was Homer who caused that and they run him out of town. They flee to Alaska to get away from the angry mob of their friends and neighbors who want to kill them all. And they somehow escape the dome through a sinkhole and uh, get away to Alaska and, uh, you know, try to figure out how to save Springfield. So, yeah. you know, the, the, the plot of the movie is, is uh, you know, it's interesting. Like, it's, it's the Simpsons. It's like, you know, they're a center-left kind of thing, but they're also, like, very much criticizing the EPA in this movie, which is it's a kind of interesting dynamic. Um, but you know, the, the movie is really funny. Um, it's, it's kind of taking Homer to the extreme as the Simpsons has done over the years. We're like, what if we just made this guy as dumb as possible? Like, what if he can't like really speak English that good? And like, what if he just like, doesn't understand words and how to spell things? And you know, they, they really 
make him as dumb as they can, but that's just kind of how the show has gone, right? That's not yeah. really them doing anything different. Um, but I, I think one of the things that works really well in the movie, you know, the humor is great. I think sometimes the the all-time great Simpsons episodes that really stand the test of time sometimes are the ones that aren't necessarily as funny, but the ones that are really diving into Homer and Marge's relationship and exploring why they are together and how that relationship works. And there are some really sweet moments in the movie where, like, there are parts of the movie where you're concerned that, like, uh, are Homer and Marge going to, like, just divorce? Like, is this the end of The Simpsons? Are they going to, like, stop doing this? Like, it's The Simpsons. They're never going to end, unfortunately. So, like, of course, that's not going to happen. But those moments feel earned and feel real. And, you know, uh, Marge, of course, is, like, you know, the victim of this relationship and she's going to like fall for Homer's stupid charm at the end of the day, like she always does. But it, it, those moments feel very real and, and just a, a lot, um, you know, better than the Simpsons has done in a really long time. I think there's some early Simpsons that deals with that in a really fascinating way that works on a level probably better than the Simpsons movie does. Yeah. But I was really impressed with the way that they were able to pull that off in the movie. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that the, the movie is, is really great. If you have not seen The Simpsons at all, you can still watch the movie and have a really good time with it. It's really funny. There's a lot of, of fun gags in it. I love the uh, the visual gag of Bart, of Bart uh, going naked on a skateboard down to Krusty Burger. Yeah. Uh, just like hiding his dick the whole way until you see nothing but his dick. It's, just like, it's a real flaunt of like what they're able to do. Oh, the yeah. Uh, like, yeah. Oh, we couldn't do this on TV, but we can draw a child's dick and balls in a movie and just <laughs> get away with it. Um, one of my favorite jokes of all time in The Simpsons is in the movie when they they shut down the lake and they put this barrier up around it and they're like, you know, okay, nobody can dispose of things illegally in the lake anymore and the cops are like monitoring the lake and Fat Tony and his goons are d- dragging a dead body <laughs> up to the lake and it's like a sack with feet sticking out of the end. And <laughs> William looks at him and he goes, now nothing in the lake. And Fat Tony goes, uh, okay, I guess I'll put my yard trimmings in a car compactor. And they drag the body off and Lou goes, uh, chief, it looks like a dead body in there. And William goes, that's what I thought too. Kelly said yard trimmings. Gotta learn to listen, Lou. (laughs) Just just some funny Chief Wiggum shit, like taking the wrong observation of the situation and thinking he's smart. (laughs) Hilarious to me. Um, But yeah, I I know both of you have seen this, maybe not as many times as I have, but curious to hear both of your thoughts on the Simpsons movie. Actually, I don't think that I've watched the Simpsons movie since I saw it in theaters. And when I saw it in theaters, I really liked it. And it had some of that. I definitely get that same sense of heart that you were talking about, especially in in Marge and Homer's uh, marriage and relationship. And I thought about like, the episode when I watched that movie, I thought about the episode when, when Homer eats fugu. And it's like a really early episode, but that one has like such a gut punch because it genuinely is like a man coming to terms with his own death and his wife knowing and the kids not. And like, there's Mm -hmm. so much that's about that. That's like so heartfelt and and beautiful. And the movie reminded me of that and tapped into it. And I was like, oh, I, yeah. After a while, I kind of forgot when Homer was shouting about Gamblor and his neon claws (laughs) and other dumb shit involving the boogeyman. Um, Yeah. Like I, I, uh, I, 
had indexed a lot more on, or I like really relied on the Simpsons for the chuckle humor. And when I went to the movie, I was somehow surprised that like, Oh yeah, it has that heart. I forgot about this. But yeah, I, I haven't seen it since. I want to watch it again though. When you're bringing it up, I got to go find a place to watch it and stream it somewhere. Yeah. I mean, I know you'll like yeah. it again on a, on a rewatch. Yeah. yeah I, same. I, I know I watched it in the theater and I remember liking it then, but I, I know I have not watched it since. And every once in a while I think about it, like, Hey, I should go back and visit that. I do think it fell at a time where like I had already stopped watching Simpsons, right? There was kind of like a um, a period of like watching, absolutely watching the new episode and also coming home and turning on and watching reruns of previous seasons. Mm. It peaked. <laughs> yeah. And by the time this movie had come out, I was definitely just kind of like, I probably was still rewatching old episodes, but not even keeping up. Yeah, what was happening. The new. show was clearly past its prime at this point when mm-hmm. the movie came out. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think I'd had my doubts about like, all right, well, what's the what can they do in a movie? What's a movie? What's different there? And yeah, I remember being like, OK, it was like the right amount of more um, and, and made sense to be a movie like it worked. But then weirdly, I'm like, that was it. I didn't watch it again. And I kind of also still haven't watched The Simpsons um, until like recently a couple years ago with my kids now old enough, I started watching from episode one because I wanted to work my way through Nice until, until I got tired of it. So I was like, I'll work my <laughs> way through, figure out when it really kicks off, uh, which really honestly is like season three, like season two starts to hit some yeah. things and season three starts to hit. And then four is like this high of, you know, so many memorable episodes. And then it kind of starts to trail again. And, and I got tired of it. Um, and, and like, I'll go back and I'm like, man, I enjoy them. Like when it was at its high, it was absolutely its high. It's kind of sad that it just kind of carries on now. Yeah. Um, and I think that's just where like every time I hear about the Simpsons or see that they're doing something, I'm always kind of now just like, eh. And yeah, the movie kind of comes by and I'm like, yeah, maybe I'd watch that. But there's just like not enough drawing it to me. Um, yeah. Hearing you talk about it again, like, yeah, immediately in my mind, the like yard trimmings came back. because <laughs> I do. I do remember that gag and, and have said that. Um, and yeah, I was kind of like thinking through the plot and I'm like, all right, I remember a few things of it. Um, so yeah, it's definitely, yeah, I would say, yeah, I need to, I need to go back and rewatch it. I just remember the cliffhanger gag cause I had a genuine reaction in the theater. Where oh, where they like, jumped Springfield Gorge? It, no, it was where they were just like to be continued. Oh, the, right now. Yeah. yeah right, now, <laughs> right now. I was like, yeah. <laughs> 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 just, I got really indignant for a moment <laughs> and then immediately settled back in and laughed. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, this came out too where I was like, so I was introduced to the Simpsons and I was probably about 13 and like really got into them. And I was watching like reruns after school almost every day for a couple years. And then like I watched an episode with my dad. Uh, there was like a Henry VIII parody and Homer was like, you know, was playing Henry VIII and Lisa was like, why can't I be? you know, why can't I be king? Why can't I take over after you? And Homer goes, grow a penis or get out. And Lisa <laughs> goes like, Argh! Argh! and tries to grow a penis. And then Homer just like gets her out of the castle. And he was, my dad turns to me, he goes, you're not watching this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and so there was like several, like a couple years of like Simpsons drought where I was just like craving the Simpsons and couldn't get it. <laughs> you wanted it. And then finally, this came out the summer before my senior year in high school. 
And I was like, uh, Dad, some friends invited me to go see the Simpsons movie. And he was like, I don't care if you want to go. That's fine. Nice cover story. Like, All right, cool. Uh, and then I, I went to see that. And it was just like everything that I had been craving for, for years that I hadn't been getting. And uh, it was like a, a great experience for me in the theater at the time. But I, I do think it really it really holds up. And I think like, you know, that heart that the movie has that the older Simpsons seasons had, I think that's, that's something that's missing from other animated shows that have kind of spun off of the Simpsons and been influenced by them, mm. you know, family guy and South park and things like that, that get the comedy, but don't get the character and the heart of the Simpsons and family guy. I don't even know if that really gets the, Not the comedy. It, um, <laughs> South park, like, is hilarious but i you know it's like i don't really give a shit about anybody in the show and that makes it kind of take it or leave it for me like i can watch an episode randomly out of nowhere and laugh at it and then leave it and not feel like i need to come back to it and this the simpsons it's just stuck with me over the years because it does have that heart and that depth to it that a lot of animated shows haven't had that have come out of its wake i think uh you know, Rick and Morty is a, a show that kind of has that in a weird nihilistic fucked up way to to some degree. Um, but it's it's not like The Simpsons has like earnest heart to it that like it's not it's not cheesy like it actually works. And it's a it's a show about like a working class American family and the struggles that they go through. And it's not sugarcoating anything or acting like you know, the kids are well-behaved angels like every other fucking like sitcom from the era did. And like it, it's honest about marital problems and, um, you know, addiction and, and different things like that, that I think are, are pretty fascinating. Like it's, it's a more realistic show than I think people realize. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, it seems like a stupid cartoon, blah, blah, blah. It's like, you know, it, it takes advantage of the animation format and does, you know, shit that you wouldn't be able to do in a live action show. But it does feel a lot more realistic than a, a lot of other shows about American families. Yeah. I mean, I think about when you were talking about Homer and Marge episodes, I also thought about the Mindy episode where uh, Homer has like a potential affair with the character oh, yes. voice yeah, by, yeah. by Drew Barrymore, I think, in that episode. He's, his um, coworker. Yeah, his coworker yeah. who like has all the same tendencies and it has that. She also loves donuts. Yeah, that real meditation on like, you know people feeling like did i really marry the one or like what, what's happening with this relationship like it just is an interesting exploration whereas something like you know like married with children would pro probably play that for like more of an edge and make it like a, a thing where the crowd whoops and hollers um but yeah simpsons knows kind of when to dial it back and other times it'll just go absolutely insane and it's fantastic both ways mm -hmm. um until yeah. those later seasons yeah yeah yeah, there there really are a lot of episodes with heart that dwell on in in yeah, it, it's it's not just that like sometimes the episodes I like of Lisa like challenging mm -hmm. like yeah. is what is my family, right? And then always kind of coming back to them of like, oh, well, you know, it is my family and this is the way we are kind of things like that that are enjoyable. Um and I, yeah, for me I kind of hit in the time that the Simpsons w was the cultural phenomena and it weirdly uh, was something that my parents were kind of like, yeah, we shouldn't be watching this, but it was just hard to look away <laughs> yeah. because of like yeah. what it was, like what the force that it was at that time. Uh, when South Park came out, that was the one where 
I would come around the corner and my dad was watching it and would quickly change the channel. <laughs> and like he wasn't watching it because we weren't supposed to watch it. Um, and I, I think that um, the way that the, like when you look at the first season and the Tracy Ullman mm. gets, they are trying to find this footing and the Ullman skits really are, are good at what they're supposed to be, which is just this crass family that you're right is like, a real family, all the goods and bads, um, you know, Homer choking out Bart, which apparently they don't mm -hmm. do anymore. Um, being kind of like, yeah, there was families then like that was kind of the way things could be. Um, and then the show in the first season really just is the like, ah, Bart's funny kind of thing. And Homer is there somewhat, but when it kind of transforms into that, riding off of Homer and his endearingness in his stupidity is when it works. And when it hits to, he can't fucking read in the mm -hmm. later system is when it loses it. It loses that heart. Yeah. And he's like as stupid as absolutely stupid as it needs to be for the gag and gives up like the, who the Simpsons are like tangibly are. And even those side characters, like they create like a one-off fucking character, like Disco Stew is the one that always comes oh, to mind Disco for Stu. me. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> yeah. like he's a one-off gag about a jacket that didn't get finished, right? It's supposed to be Disco <laughs> Stud, and it says Stew, and, it, and he picks it up, and then it's like, and then we just kept bringing back Disco Stew because we thought it was funny, <laughs> Yeah, right? But it's like that character becomes a character you love in the, in the you know, in the Simpsons, in the town yeah. um, that is this character that it grew into. That's funny. And, you know, like talking about these Homer Marge moments and, and the heart of the show, there, there's a really incredible moment in the movie where you're unsure whether their marriage is going to make it. And, and Marge tapes a video for Homer to like explain what's going on and that like she's like, you know, going back to Spring Springfield to try to save the town and Homer doesn't want to do that. And she she tapes it over their wedding video and the end of that like monologue Ugh. cuts to the wedding video and yeah. they there's an early episode of the simpsons i think it's probably season two where they talk about a lot about homer and marge's relationship and they play the song uh i don't know what the title of the song is but it says why why do birds suddenly appear i don't know mm -hmm. if that's what the song is yeah. called but they use that song so effectively in the simpsons that whenever i hear it in anything else like it's a song that is used in things I'm always like, oh, you you can't do that. Like that is like Simpsons IP at this point. Like they have used it so incredibly effectively, but they do it in that scene and they they play that song in the wedding video. And it, it's like pulling from one of the most intimate moments of the Simpsons in the very early days and bringing that into the movie and conjuring up those emotions and um, I, I think it's just it's just really really well done, and it's a lot more honest and clear-eyed about relationships than most movies or or shows are. I think. Um, so yeah, I I don't know. I, I think I think I think it's really good. Um, fun question for you guys: Who is your favorite Simpsons side character, like outside of the core family? God, man, we already we already named Disco Stew. Um, <laughs> it doesn't have to be that obscure. Or I, it could I, be more obscure I mean, if you want. I love but... Barney. I just can't oh, Barney's, not. Barney's yeah. both uh, hilarious and tragic. And yes. I loved him in the, the film festival episode. Don't uh, cry for me. <laughs> I'm already I'm dead. dead. It's so beautiful. He has the soul of a poet. You're very kind. 
it, did something call you on your throat and die? Yeah. It did die. Just like yeah, Barty, just so optimistic. Oh man, that's one that's actually stuck around in in my family. The kid, the kids really like that bit, so we have that every once in a while. It did die. I I like Mo honestly, and oh, I really Mo. it yeah. it's sad that like the things that are funniest to me are when they use Mo as just like an absolute. <laughs> Like just a horrible end of a joke. Yes, he's and... just a punching bag. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I do. I do like Mo. That's yeah. awesome. I I love Mr. Burns. Like it's just he's the most evil old man, and he's like the the they play jokes and just how evil and old he is all the time. And it's like you know he's like a you know sometimes like he's 104. Sometimes it's like yeah. oh he was a soldier <laughs> in World War One, and it's just like you know it's you know like, they play with his age all the time, which is just hilarious to me. Um, and like you know, oh, his, yeah, he- his health like. How he's like, like- doesn't he yeah. have like the second phone number or some shit like that? Like, yeah, right. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> His social security number is like zero 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 two or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love the gag where he has like every disease and like they're all fighting against each other so they can't kill him. <laughs> it's like so you're saying like, so, yeah, we call it three Stooges syndrome. So you're saying I'm invincible? Oh no, even a mild breeze. <laughs> I'm invincible. <laughs> Um, and then I also really love Jasper, the old man with the beard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, That's a paddling. Yeah. <laughs> That's a paddling. <laughs> I always think about him paddling getting... Paddling a canoe? <laughs> oh, you bet. That's a paddling. Him getting lasered in the face and being like, my my vision, it's back. I can see it. He gets lasered again. And he's like, again. I'm blind. Well, easy come, easy go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, Those are great characters. Yeah, I would say the only time that Mr. Burns I didn't like him being around was the episode where uh, he loses all his money and Lisa helps him. And mm. like that episode just is so sad to me. I was just like watching Lisa basically lose a bit more faith in like humanity. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it has to happen for Lisa. You know, eventually she yeah, has to yeah. grow up. But, yeah, uh, but it, that one's brutal. So yeah. Also, speaking of Lisa side characters, Bleeding Gums Murphy is fucking awesome. Yeah. He, like, Bloody uh, Guts Murphy. We've <laughs> <laughs> been farewell to Bloody Guts Murphy. <laughs> cool. All right. So if you couldn't tell, I am recommending The Simpsons. Yeah. Movie. We got to curtail this or we'll go all night. Yeah. <laughs> you just, just open the floodgates. Making old Simpsons quotes. The yeah. song is Close to You by the Carpenters, by the way. That's what it's called. Oh, yeah. there you go. Yeah. Suddenly appear. Um, yeah. feel like the, the dude from Mandy is... though is better than than the Carpenters. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> In that same vein, I feel like The Simpsons has ruined Peter Frampton for me too. Oh <laughs> yeah. Like, every time he's the, the the do you feel all I can I just get ripped back to that episode. Youth is eating my lunch. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, you're bringing uh, back memories. Um, that's funny. Well, uh, with that, we have two recommends so far. Let's get to me. And uh, I'm bringing um, Neil Breen's latest film, Cade Colon, The Tortured Crossing. I want to see where my money's been going. Please don't let them hurt me anymore. Megan. What do you know about the patient trafficking that's going on here? What do you know about the gene editing research? You must know something. 
There's been a huge increase in the amount of kidnapping of the youths and runaways that are being used for medical testing. Uh, we'd like you to keep a lookout for any irregularities that might happen at your lab. We can make a difference with them. We will make a difference. Which, on the Letterboxd uh, review, or the Letterboxd entry, has all capital letters, but when I watched the movie, that title card had a mix of lowercase and uppercase that looked like somebody just hammered it out and put it on the screen. Wait, like just random lowercase yeah, and like, uppercase? it was like capital C on Cade and then like a lowercase T on tortured. Like a, oh, okay. And, and a, just like uh, written like a normal English sentence? <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> like, all right, cool. Copy and paste it from my Word document. Um <laughs> So Neil Breen, if you're not familiar with his work, Neil Breen is also known as the Breenius um, because he is a, he's like a Wazoian filmmaker. He has a, a lot of ego in what he does, um, but he, he believes that he is not, he's unlike Wazo as an artist, Breen does not cave to demand. Um, his films don't do midnight screenings. He's made it very clear he only does things that are very big professional jobs, like, and he'll only let them be for like matinee or in the evening, but no midnight stuff. Yeah, because um, they never show bad movies during the day. That's right. <laughs> they never do. When did you see the Marvels? Was it midnight? <laughs> uh, no, it was 8.05. <laughs> okay. Well, there you go. Uh, yeah, point proven. Um, so, yeah, I just, uh, there's so much I could say about this movie. It's fucking wild um, and it's not good. And you know me, I love my trash and I've seen four of Neil Breen's other films. I think he has like six now and I haven't seen one of them. Um, and I, you mean uh, you haven't seen one? You've seen five of the six. Yeah, I've seen five of the six. No, I haven't seen one of them might sound like I haven't Sorry. seen any of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you for clarifying. Uh, I've, seen, I've seen a shameful amount of them, Jason. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Just want to make sure the audience knows what they're dealing <laughs> yes. with here. Yeah. Um, so I, I kind of wrote it down, but uh, I, my review says it better than I can probably whip it up now, which is... Over the course of Breen's career, each successive feature has stripped away a piece of previous production's overhead. So outdoor sequences, indoor sets, even cast and crew have been whittled down with a vicious Roger Corman-esque efficiency. Um, and this this film just serves to prove like that uh, he's in the height of what I think people are calling the Breen screen era, oh. where he, much like Marvel, shoots everything on a green screen. But unlike Marvel, he does not have all the sophisticated tools or filmmaking know-how to make it at least somewhat visually bearable. I <laughs> would right. disagree with that statement. <laughs> I, I knew you were going to. You don't need really any technical know-how to make something look as good as a Marvel movie. Well, imagine if you would. My surprise. I was going to say, I, I don't know that... I don't know that you can have the complete ineptitude to reach the level of a Neil Breen effects <laughs> yes. work. Like <laughs> it, it truly, he is some kind of lightning in a bottle, just shooting films out. Although I think that this most previous one, Cade, the court, the tortured crossing, Cade, the tortured crossing is probably the last Breen film I will watch after this. I don't think I want to go further on because I feel like it's getting into this ethical territory of, should you support a man through a mental crisis? Um, like, should you continue to feed his mental problems? So what you're telling me is you're going to pirate his future films. Uh, yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, allegedly. <laughs> Maybe not. Um, but like, 
this film, so I've been dancing around it because it's just so fucking hard to talk about. Uh, say, what the fuck is this about? It? So there's another film called Twisted Pair in which Neil Breen introduces this concept of these twins, Kate and Kale, who come from another planet. <laughs> fucking lettuce? Yeah. <laughs> or like, uh, they're like aliens or they're androids or some weird fucking genetic clone shit. I haven't, that's the one I haven't seen, so I don't really know. But they do magic shit. And uh, a Neil Breen th- uh, film is not complete without doing magic shit that makes him some kind of God, which strokes his ego and doing it to people who are corrupt and usually politicians or presidents of banks. Um, I don't really know in one film. He's there's literally a guy who's like, I lied to all of the people who, who use the bank. I am the president of the bank. That's like the dialogue. That's literally what it is. Okay. So like you're already getting samples Dixon of like what brain feels like. Um, He's still not as self-aware as Tommy Wiseau is. He doesn't know that the movies he's making, at least theoretically, I think, unless he's playing the best con I've ever seen. Wait, you, Tommy Wiseau I, I is no self-aware? He's self-aware he that he point. can make a shit ton of money if he makes bad movies. And that's what I mean by self-aware is like he'll just try to do it to make money. Breen makes them because he has an artistic vision. And that vision's not great. But, mm. you know, it's, you know, it's what's worse than 2020. I don't even know. What's the lowest thing? Is it zero twenty? I don't know how eyes work. Yeah. The but, first <laughs> number is always 20. Yeah. And the higher the second number is, the oh, worse it goes. It reverses you can have fraction. better than 2020 vision. You have like 2017 vision. Oh, okay. And it means the thing you see at 20 feet away, you see as if it were 17 feet away. Damn. Okay, um, okay, okay. And so when you have like 2080 vision, that means like you see with the clarity of something that's 80 feet away. Oh. Even though it's 20 feet away. Okay. Well, Oh, Brain's got like, you know, like I have terrible 20, vision, 000, folks. 20, 30,000, whatever, <laughs> infinity feet beyond the infinite 20 uh, no. is what Breen has. Um, yeah. And so in this movie, he takes one of the characters from the previous one, Twisted Pair, and he puts them into a different context, which I'm not sure if it's a sequel. I don't know if it's a standalone thing. I don't have enough context. And also, Breen's just not great at conveying. Um, he, he makes his own lexicon basically of like film techniques. He's never gone to a film school. He's just done this all his own, his on his own. Cause he's an architect in Los Angeles or no, Las Vegas. Um, and so with Cade, he's like trying to tell the story of one of these twins who's superhuman, who donates to a mental hospital that is caring for people, only six people who are in rehab. And then the whole hospital has six people. Yes. And it looks like trash. The entire hospital looks like trash because in in this new movie, Breen exclusively uses only stock photos for any environment that he is in, in a scene. There is on the green screen. There's just stock photos. There's yes, yes. Yeah. I, it fucking broke my mind because the first 30 minutes of this feature are like, you're in a big mansion that and then they'll show a stock photo of a castle then they'll go right into a stock photo of a mansion and then the mansion stares and breen clearly on his green screen put like apple crates on top of oh, each other no. and he tries to actively <laughs> sync people oh. to it and so all of the actors are roughly positioned where they should be but you can still tell it's all stock and the green screen fuzz around them every time just makes it more apparent and he not only does that, but he adds when he needs crowd scenes, he only hired like eight people to be in this entire movie. 
So he just takes stock video of business people talking and he masks all around it. And you just see these flat images of a dude pointing to a clipboard and another person nodding. And they, they play on loop, but some scenes they don't. They'll just stop and freeze mid-frame and oh. just stay there. This I took my brother to this. Mark, I'm so sorry, man. I'm so sorry. I wish you would return my calls. No, you're full of shit, John. You took him to a Neil Breen movie. You can't apologize for that. Like that that's on you hey, and him both. Like Hey, before this, Neil Breen had shot some outdoor scenes in the Las Vegas desert. With actors, yeah. and he didn't use stock footage of anything. He was like, he did, really? He used stock footage video. Yeah, he didn't use stock footage video. <laughs> like, not stills. <laughs> yeah, no stills. He had some stock footage tiger. Of I like a tiger. That. Yeah, he yeah. loves tigers. They're in every movie. This movie's no different. It also has a tiger that shows up for no reason in a scene where he fights it, and it looks like it came straight out of like Tekken on PlayStation 1. This like tiger stands up and starts punching him and he's blocking it. And the only way this conflict ends after like five minutes of watching it is Neil Breen blocks the tiger's paws and goes, there's somebody coming. And then the tiger goes, oh shit. And like immediately like gets down and leaves. Wait, does the tiger talk? It doesn't talk, but it turns into a hot woman. What? <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, it's, that's just kind of what it is. Was that part of the stock footage? <laughs> no, it was clearly somebody that Breen like, filmed at a different time but yeah anyways he he doesn't make films anymore he makes like a sensory collage where it's just like stock photos and people reading their lines over them and like overacting and like the music is fucking awful because he probably makes it as well um but the most incredible thing about it is that as a filmmaker he's the only person i've ever seen who continues to devolve after each movie he makes like the first movie, I think he shot it on 35 millimeter <laughs> and oh. like he had scenes and sets and he cut away to interiors. things and he had like effects yeah. and interiors, exteriors. All now that he's shit. shooting it on like an iPhone seven. Yeah. And it's like in a green screen thing. And he's still posting videos about how successful he is as a filmmaker, because I think that he's like, he's the, the perfect combination of like somebody who loves film and absolutely hates spending money. And so like everything he's doing is just shaving off how efficient he can make the films. And I, I have a feeling he's like racing AI to see like who can make the most incohesive <laughs> film at, at a particular point in time. Well, you said he's funding these himself, right? Yeah. He, he gets like some investors, like I don't know who would invest in it, but he gets some people on board and then he goes and makes his movies and like publishes them and he takes them to festivals and gets, he's gotten the people's choice award at a few festivals. And I know it's not because everybody who went and saw that voted for it because there's not enough people that would do that. Um, I think that he just put the call out and everybody rides the wave of irony and votes him in. And that's where yeah. that's where my kind of opening statement of like, I think this is the last Breen film I'll watch that's new just because I feel like I am perpetuating bad habits and bad filmmaking and a misunderstanding is happening that I don't want to be part of this bandwagon anymore. I watch old brain films. It was fun back then, but like moving forward, whatever he does, I'm not going to, it's just torment. Like Mark and I laughed for the first 30 minutes of this movie because it was so uncomfortable and weird. And just, I, we'd never fucking seen anything like it. And then we realized there was a whole other hour and 10 minutes left. Oh. And <laughs> that, and it was like, 
I said there were six people in this rehab center. All, the entire movie's journey, its arc, is all six of those people have to learn to rehabilitate themselves and then become self-sufficient because Neil Breen's helping them do that because he's a hero. And so, like, each of them has the exact same lines in the exact same scene several times over. They wake up in the rehab center and they go, you just got to give me my stuff, man. I'm Jones in. And they do shit like that. And then the next scene is them learning to be spirit warriors. And one of them grows a fucking Falcon's wing. And then they fight a bunch of bad guys at the end because they're rehabilitated now. And I'm like, that's not how a rehab center works. And I don't think that's how spiritualism works. Wait, like, so these are a bunch of like addicts who are being trained to be cops. Yes, but they're fighting corrupt individuals who exploit nonprofit medical foundations which is like not really established well at all, but okay. they, they just make it. There's a few scenes where they have like, you know, the Batman scene of a, a hero schmoozing with all the rich people and all the rich people are like, we really fucked over those poors. We, we have those, that rehabilitation center. We're smuggling all of the, the nonprofit donations into our various Swiss bank accounts. They like, just say that shit. And then Neil Brain comes in and he's like, that's illegal. <laughs> like, and he, he, he gets revenge. Um, Probably the only thing that I would say about this movie that I really want to share with everybody, if the clips of it come out, look for it. Uh, there's an opening scene where he establishes himself as a superhero because he gets hit by a stock video bus and he, he reacts to it, but he gets right back up and he flies away and saves a man who's being kidnapped. And when the man's being kidnapped, the goon that's kidnapping him turns into like 12 goons, like Power Rangers style, Ryan. Okay. And then Neil Breen goes, Let's make this an even fight. And that's, he's like worse than Craig Denny. He's like more monotone yeah, yes, than Craig Denny yes. ever could oh be. Oh my. And so he's just is, like, is he, does he have like a bigger pot belly than Craig Denny? No, he's, he's like oddly <laughs> slender in bones. He looks yeah, like yeah, a weird of, folklore yeah. creature. <laughs> um, but like he goes, let's make this an even fight. And then it's a, a video of him moving in circles. Like he's about to do some kind of fake martial arts but they they slow it down to get that kind of like layering of him like there's multiple of him in the frame cuz it's moving that slow and uh, and it's meant to convey that there's like 30 of him that he can divide into 30 and punch a dude with that same power but it just looks like like a rad powerpoint presentation graphic or like what somebody would think is a rad powerpoint graphic in like a high school presentation uh, be like, yeah, my, uh, my, this is my presentation of grapes of wrath by John Steinbeck. And <laughs> here's, uh, John Steinbeck was fighting for, and it would just be like a, a gif novel, of that. Like, like flies just, across it. Yeah. Everybody doubling off. Yeah. Thank you, Tyler, for your presentation. <laughs> uh, no problem. Uh, <laughs> why does he have superpowers? That's just what Breen slowly evolved into in the, first movie he ever made he didn't have them but he was being cheated on and he fixed his marriage or some shit and the second one he got hit by a car and got telepathy and wait are they all sequels of each other they kind of build on him uh, being the same character it's it's like a multiverse uh, a Breeniverse. <laughs> I don't know. oh dear god um you can look up compilations on youtube of of the fine acting uh on display and you'll get a good enough giggle out of them you don't have to subject yeah. yourself to the rest of it but I heard a lot of hype around this one. Even our boy Gino Hino, he was telling me I'd have a good time. And I think that he was on that irony shit too. (laughs) He probably just didn't want me to know that I was going to suffer for like an additional amount of time. But I don't blame you, Gino. I understand. I understand where you're coming from. It was fun for 30 minutes. (laughs) Um, Anyways. 
So I have never heard of Neil Breen other than from you, John, and I've never seen any of his movies. How the fuck did you find this dude? Why have you repeatedly gone to see his movies? What is what is his deal? Um, so I found this guy. It was either a mix of Red Letter Media or it was my buddy in Los Angeles who also is a trash fiend. Um, shout out to James. Mm. Uh, he, he and I would watch the room drunk every night in college, like for a really long time. We every did it. night, it's like every night was what it felt like. I oh mean, like God. just looking back on it, I was like, we watched the room a shit ton of times. Um, did you toss a football back and forth while doing so? We, uh, yeah. we didn't, uh, oh, uh missed I opportunity. I did ask him how his sex life was, uh, <laughs> Um, but he, he told me it was confidential. Um, no. So yeah, like he found, he finds things, he'll send me things and I'll send him things and we're just always on the hunt for it. But it's either Red Letter Media or James. And uh, when I found Neil Breen, um, I had that same like full body pain that I had when I watched The Room the first time where like it just physically hurt to see filmmaking so poorly handled and yet know that there was such a strong vision behind it that was trying to bring it up. I don't know. And, and so like kind of got fascinated with him because everything that he does, it's that same, you're forming like a psychological profile and like, you know, where Tommy Wiseau's insecurities are based on the room. And thanks to the disaster artist, it also helps. Um, but like you watch a brain film and slowly over time, you're like, okay, he always has this kind of character, this archetype. He has these other characters he sets up. Like in one, he sets up a, an underage girl that comes and tries to hit on him. And she like oh gets naked in his bathroom and is about to take a bubble bath. And like this dude is, has to be like 70, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's just something like that. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. With like he dyed like hair, s- trying to pretend like he's 35. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so like he's no John D. Hart, but you know, he's uh, um, yeah. Like he shows up and he's like, you can't keep doing this. Like she's been doing it several times or something. Um. And it's it's one of those moments that like stop movie, hitting on me, you hot high schooler. <laughs> yeah, it's, right. It's that yes. moment where you're like, he's telegraphing so hard that he really wants you to think that he's so hot that a high schooler would want him. But also he's so morally righteous that he would tell them to fuck off and not come back. Wow. And I was just yeah, I was like, this who? is what Scott Pilgrim should have been. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> yeah. Like, <laughs> who is this man? Um, they're pretty a lot of the movies. His plot points are resolved by him going. I happen to be the best hacker in the world out of nowhere and be like, I've hacked all of the government secrets, all of them, yeah. <laughs> like that kind of shit. Um, so yeah, really, that's why I found him because of James or Red Letter Media. And I got into him because I'm really fascinated with these directors and their like psychology and just like, what is, what is driving you to make this in each film? This one being about medical corruption was interesting and like being about rehab and drugs. I'm like, I don't know if Neil Breen's working through something somebody he knows um but he's definitely not taking any advice on his filmmaking like there's definitely no outside consultation that can be happening he definitely has this theme of like corrupt company corrupt government thing that he's all hung up on but the only way to hey that's that's not wrong yeah yeah Yeah, well but he's like the only way to fix it is to become a telepath to become a dictator who comes a dictator that fixes it all yeah there's uh it's not good resolution yeah, in this movie at one point, so it's called Cade the Tortured Crossing because I think artistically what he intended was the Tortured Crossing is rehabilitation. It's trying to kick addiction, which I think is like, you know, that's actually oh, a really yeah, beautiful, poetic way to say that. Mm. 
but it's presented in this like completely nonsensical way where he shows everybody freaking out about losing their drugs and becoming spirit warriors and fighting off bad guys who are corrupt in the medical industry. And it loses that. And it becomes instead just like Cade is this godlike creature who can lead anybody through a healing process. And it's like way more of a brain indulgence film than it is like him working through trauma. So like, halfway through it just got i was just so jaded i was like dude i don't you're, this is all the ego trip now like there's not any in other movies he works through like sometimes it's like friends commit suicide and that kind of stuff it's completely mishandled in a way that's hilarious which you wouldn't think that would happen but mm-hmm. he's still like kind of trying to work through deeper material and now it's just like like a marvel movie he's just on green screen and he's a fucking hero and that's does all he, he shoot does. lasers from his hands he might have he jumped really yeah there's far definitely one times time. where he, yeah, he <laughs> he's got various powers i i think so oh yeah, yeah things definitely explode into an explosion plug-in that is just the stock plug-in for, yes. for something blowing up this is also it's the, the same one every time yeah I, I will also say like this movie um had some moments where like the the characters Okay, there was like a whole scene where the characters broke out into dance for no reason, and it was fully choreographed. Okay. And by fully, I mean it was partially done well, and like they kind of got it. And it the camera kept rolling after they finished the dance, and they all high fived, and you could just tell it got real for a moment that you were just witnessing actors that were so delighted that they did a thing, uh. and and that has nothing to do with the rest of the movie. And uh, anyways, the person at the end of the, the movie, somebody in the bathroom when I went was like, that felt like he filmed 30 minutes and just needed to pad out the rest of it to make a film. And I was like, that's exactly what Breen does. So you just anyways. have a casual conversation yeah. with the guy in the urinal next to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, well, when we, you've we, seen we, Neil Breen, uh, you know, yeah. sometimes you just got to <laughs> let that guard down. <laughs> when we talk about uh, bad movies like john's everything that john watches um the the room is often brought up as like the worst movie of all time right and i think that it is a certain like low bar it's a uniquely bad movie yeah yeah it's not the worst movie it is a movie like the characters watchable are defined it's watchable there is a plot it actually has the like conflict rising action you know of a script it does feel like an alien digested movies and then crapped out something kind of like a movie. Um, but there is that level below it that like a Neil Breen where it functionally misses everything that should make it a movie. The like plot is kind of incomprehensible. The yeah, if the effects work is even worse on this and filmed even worse, like even yeah. his first few movies, there are like 12 year olds that are making things on YouTube that look better and are better. <laughs> like, yeah. You have to try to be this lazy in what you're doing. It's amazing. <laughs> it, it, you know what it reminds me of? It is the epitome of like a boomer film, like, like a, not like a film for boomers. That's like, you know, classic Hollywood shit or yeah, something. No, a film made by a boomer. But like a film made by a boomer. Yeah. It's exactly that because like all of the tells within it are this dilution of what they've seen in like classic Hollywood. It's, you know, thinking that everybody will recognize the archetypes that live in your head and that they'll recognize that just, you know, when you're announcing that there's a flood of corruption and I'm going to stop it, that like anybody would feel emotion from you saying that other than you being in like an echo chamber stroking your ego. Um, And so 
yeah, Breen's films like where Wiseau was wounded and traumatized in a way when he was like writing the room. Breen writes it from like he's been reading like Newsmax and shit, and he just mm. wants yeah. to like share his message with the world that somebody needs to be Jesus, damn it, and then he's gonna be the one to do it. <laughs> Where's Willem Dafoe when you need him? <laughs> Oh man, Willem Dafoe would would do some fucking great work in a brain film. <laughs> that would be amazing. Willem Dafoe does great work in everything. That is exactly uh, right. I don't care what it is. Willem Dafoe <laughs> is great in it. So, uh, um, anyways, I, I, all of this ramble of Breen and trying to explain, you can just tell how like I'm just exasperated trying to explain <laughs> what the fuck goes through Breen's head. Um, fighting a tiger that turns into a hot woman. Um, rehabbing six people into spirit warriors and one of them grows a wing and it's a falcon maybe who knows uh, and then like oh yeah I didn't even mention he just falls in love with one of the corrupt orderlies from the mental asylum that's been stealing his money she just falls in love with him for no reason and they kneel on a stock photo of a bridge and they kiss and I was just <laughs> like god damn it <laughs> what the fuck is this movie and you could tell too by that scene when she kisses him they have one close up shot and they keep cutting back to it because she was like, I'm not going to kiss you one, more than one once. Kiss, I'm only going to do a kiss uh, one take. Yeah, it's like that kind of thing. Anyways, wouldn't recommend Cade the Tortured Crossing. You irony fans out there who watch it because it's it's hip and cool to do that. Don't do not do it this time. It's not going to do it for you. It's You're going to spend the first 30 minutes having a great time. And then you're going to either leave the theater or you're just going to sit there and be tortured. That's your Tortured Crossing. <laughs> So, yeah. Is there a Neil Breen film that you would recommend? So, like, if if somebody is curious as to the ideas that you have put before us here this evening, and is like, you know what, I want to just dip my toe in the Neil Breen pond and just get one uh-huh. experience, what would that be? And is there even one that would be enjoyable, yes. or are you just a just a glutton for punishment? Uh, there is one that would be enjoyable. Has to be with friends. Please bring libations. Um, yeah, do not watch alone sober. Yeah, do not watch alone sober because you'll be like, "What the fuck? It, why did John tell me to do?" Uh, and th- and that one is Fateful Findings. I think Fateful Findings is the most accessible, which is a weird way to qualify a brain film. Um, but it is like you and your friends put it on, and it, it's like okay, it's if you've seen the room and you're like that movie's crazy, and your friends are also aware of it but your friends have never seen Neil Breen, just be like, hey, I heard about Faithful Findings. Let's like get together and watch that. Because you'll all be communally traumatized by how bad it is. But it's about Breen getting hit by a car, getting magic powers, cheating on his wife, but making it okay somehow, and dealing with a friend's suicide, and then exposing government corruption at the end of it, all while being an author a la Stephen King. Oh, okay, <laughs> yeah. sure. See, like he's doing like... Plot. In the mouth of sadness. Yeah. <laughs> well done. Bra fucking bro. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> yeah, that's basically it. Um it, it's just you can tell the plot gymnastics he's trying to go to to make sure that he can round all of the bases of how awesome he is within one feature. So <laughs> Oh, yeah. Man. So Fateful Findings, I'd recommend it. Cade the Tortured Crossing, now. I think it's I think we're hitting the the we've we're past the prime at this point. 
Um, and so that will bring things to a close uh, for us here at Afterthoughts. We have a recommend for the Scott Pilgrim Netflix series that upends a bunch of things. There's a asterisk on that too, Ryan. You have to have seen Scott Pilgrim or yeah, read you should the manga watch probably. the Scott Pilgrim movie. Really. Highly recommended that you watch that movie. And if you yeah, do watch that right. movie, feel free to listen to our episode about it. Um, Please do that. Yeah. Uh, and then we had a recommendation for. The Simpsons movie. Um, also, I think it is a good entry point into The Simpsons. If you have not explored The Simpsons television show but want to understand the vibe and get into it, uh, I think The Simpsons movie is actually a good place to start. Um, but then if you want to watch the show, do not watch anything after season 13 for sure. And like even then, 12 and 13 get rough, but there are some good episodes that are worth it. 1 through 11 are pretty gold. And, and you know, go, go, go watch all the shit from those seasons so yeah and uh and watch the yeah watch the tv show up to that point yeah watch the movie up to that point it'll be a good time guaranteed our buddy Absolutely. jim our buddy jim never believed us he he wouldn't yeah. watch it we were trying to get jim to watch the simpsons for years and then he finally like reluctantly did he's like ah, i don't know if i like this and then all of a sudden he was just dropping simpsons quotes to us randomly without <laughs> us prompting we're like wait what when did this happen he's like oh yeah i kept watching it's fucking great and he's just like rewatched <laughs> like so many seasons and yeah just continues to do so so yeah you know it'll make you a believer um it, it's it's a good time yeah I, I will caveat this recommend with a, a statement. I I do have a T-shirt that says "I voted for Kodos." Like I am, I am very, I'm very deep into the, the, the Simpsons, and I have you know watched it since I was a kid. But uh, I think the movie stands on its own. It's very good, and and you should seek it out. Yeah. Um. And then we have a refute for Cade the Tortured Crossing. Um. While I was mildly impressed and possibly puzzled and thought maybe Neil Breen was developing a film language all his own, which would be cool. Uh, I don't think that he has the the well with all and awareness to do so. <laughs> he doesn't know filmmaking rules, so he doesn't know how to break them. Um, mm. yet. So I, I, I wait for the day that he will know how to do that. And maybe he'll yield a really fucking cool movie. But until then, I'll just go back to his old filmography for now, and I'll I'm not going to hold my breath on not that. Not watch one. anything else. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'll stay away from it until I have. I need reputable sources. Three friends to have told me that the next Neil Breen film is good for me to actually go see it. I'm instituting that law. I, it's like Dixon needs that for us to like maybe recommend the Marvels, make him go. I, I, <laughs> But yeah, anyways, uh, so yeah, Cave the Torture Crossing, no. Fateful Findings, yes, if you're out there and you're really craving something so bad, yeah, sure, why not? Go for it. Bring your friends over. Um, and uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, I have been your host, John Garcia, with me as always. Ryan King, if you ever travel back in time, don't step on anything. <laughs> the slightest change can change the future in ways you can't imagine. <laughs> <laughs> I wish, I wish I hadn't sat on that fish. <laughs> uh, always remember what your father told you on your wedding day. <laughs> oh my God. And uh, of course, Michael Dixon, thanks for putting up with our Simpsons references. Hey there, movie buffs, TV toughs, and all listeners in between. John here from the Afterthoughts Podcast. I just wanted to drop in at the end of this episode and say thanks for listening. If you've got afterthoughts of your own to share, hit us up. 
You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Afterpod, or jump into a conversation on our Discord server. You can find info for this and more at theafterpod.transistor.fm. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode.